Nearly every military system runs on software, but software runs on hardware, and hardware is made up of printed circuit boards. Now the National Defense Authorization Act requires the Pentagon to take steps to ensure the security of its supply chain of circuit boards. Here with what this all means, the Vice President for Government Relations at the IPC, which used to be called the Institute for Printed Circuits, it's Chris Mitchell. Mr. Mitchell, good to have you on. Thank you, Tom, for having me. First of all, tell us what is in the NDAA that relates to printed circuit boards of all types, and what does it require the Pentagon to do, so far as we can tell? Section 841 of the NDAA is a major legislative achievement for the industry and an important first step in helping to establish a trusted supply chain for printed circuit boards and uh, for bare and assembled printed circuit boards. Uh, so the, the uh, Section 841 does a few, a few things. First of all, it uh, bans the sourcing of defense electronics from China, North Korea, Iran, and Russia, effective January 1st, 2023. Number two, it directs the Defense Department to engage one of the federally funded R&D centers to study the inclusion of COTS electronics, commercial off-the-shelf electronics, into uh, restrictions that might be implemented in the future. And finally, it extends Section 224 trusted supplier requirements for for microelectronics to printed circuit boards and printed circuit board assemblies. Uh, And so again, uh, we see this as an important first step in really establishing a community of trusted suppliers here in the United States and among our allied countries uh, for the manufacture of printed circuit boards and printed circuit board assemblies. Now, there's a big difference between a bare board and a populated board that has the circuitry on it. Is there a supply chain, some sort of cybersecurity danger or other danger from bare boards that might come from suspect countries? Sure. And and, and I, I want to make clear that the Section 841 uh, provision of the uh, NDAA does apply to both printed circuit boards and uh, bare printed circuit boards and assembled printed circuit boards. Uh, But you're absolutely right. There are uh, significant security concerns related to assembled printed circuit boards. I will say that uh, I think historically we have underappreciated some of the security challenges related to printed circuit boards. And for, you know, for those who are not familiar pr- with printed circuit boards, um, you know, we commonly think of them as the green boards that you might find inside your electronics. Well, really what those boards do is, they number one, they provide structure uh, for the electronics, but number two, they electronically connect the components that sit on top of that board or are embedded within the board. And as these printed circuit boards have become, uh, have had to accommodate increasingly sophisticated miniaturized components, the boards themselves have become exponentially more sophisticated as well. When you think about these security concerns, you can really categorize them into four categories. Uh, The first relates to uh, malicious insertion of components onto those boards. Uh, It's not an easy task, but there is evidence suggesting that adversaries are exploring and uh, and even undertaking this malicious insertion of components onto these boards that would allow those adversaries either to undermine the performance or sabotage the performance of of those boards. Uh, Number two, uh, quality. Uh, Again, a half-cent capacitor that's misplaced on a board can bring down a $300 million satellite system. Uh, and so we need to make sure that the quality of these boards is high. And again, that requires reliance on a trusted supply chain. Number three, IP theft. 
The fact of the matter is to manufacture a printed circuit board, you need to have pretty good knowledge of the working of the uh, of the workings of the end system. And so to the degree that we are manufacturing boards elsewhere around the world, uh, that does open up concerns around um, IP theft. And then finally, resiliency of our overall uh, electronics manufacturing um, ecosystem. But we have seen a real contraction, uh, especially in uh, the number and overall market size of printed circuit board manufacturing here in the United States. Uh, we believe that this is the result of uh, uh, a kind of benign negligence toward uh, PCB manufacturing here in the United States, and we need to address that uh, so that we can make sure that uh, going forward, we have a more resilient uh, ecosystem for, for that manufacturing. We're speaking with Chris Mitchell. He's vice president for government relations at the IPC, formerly the Institute for Printed Circuits. And let me just ask you one detail question before I get into the bigger bigger question of the supply in the United States. As, as you mentioned, the surreptitious insertion of a component in an otherwise bare board could be a problem. Boards today are multi-layers. At one time, a printed circuit board was one layer, so you could see something either on the top or the bottom. Now they may have up to 12, 15 layers, very thin, very highly deposed. Is it possible to bury a circuit somewhere around layer five and deliver it as if it was a bare board? It's certainly technically feasible. Uh, and again, the Defense Science Board uh, put together a task force on cyber su- supply chain and uh, indicated that, that there is evidence to suggest that this is taking place and that um, uh, adversaries around the world are, are looking at how to do this. Again, it's not easy, uh, but it's possible. And again, in this high stakes world where we are increasingly reliant on electronics, it should be a concern. Uh, so we need to, uh, we definitely need to, to address those concerns. To your point, these electronics are becoming in- just increasingly sophisticated and, and exponentially smaller as well. We're packing on pretty small real estate these days, um, incredible computing power. And, uh, and that makes the task of identifying uh, malicious intrusion that much more difficult. And let's talk about the supply base for PCBs in the United States, because so much of our consumer electronics, all of it really, is made outside of the United States, and therefore so are the circuits inside. For military systems and some high reliability systems, supercomputing systems, are those boards generally made here, or what's going on with the supply base in the United States? So the COVID pandemic has served as a real wake-up call for policymakers. It served as a reminder about the importance of a robust industrial base and as a, and a reminder of the perils of this kind of long-standing U.S. government neglect toward PCB fabrication and assembly now for more than 20 years. Uh, if you go back to the 1980s and 1990s, we boasted more than 2,000 printed circuit board manufacturers. Uh, the U.S., uh, share of the global market was uh, upwards of 30-40%. Today, we have fewer than 200 manufacturers, and we constitute just about 4% of the overall mark, global market. Wow. And the 200 uh, that are left, are they high-end or low-end? Many of them are high-end, and the work that they tend to focus on is related to the defense industry, as well as a lot of quick-turn prototyping-type work. We also do have many manufacturers that serve the automotive market. Uh, But again, we have seen the U.S. share of the overall market uh, shrink and the number of 
manufacturers contract. And this should be a, a source of concern because, again, every country needs access to a resilient, robust uh, industrial base for all of the, the you know, reasons we mentioned earlier. And if you go back to this, the start of the COVID pandemic, what we saw was that the U.S. government had a pretty difficult time catalyzing the manufacturing of, of ventilators and other uh, much-needed medical equipment, in part because there was a shortage of printed circuit boards. Uh, and it was difficult not just to catalyze the industry here in the United States, uh, and it was difficult because we, the U.S. government had become so disconnected from both the capacity and the capabilities here within the domestic market. Interesting. So going forward, we need to make sure that we have a much better sense of, of what kind of capacity and capabilities we have in the United States, and to the degree that there are gaps, we need to address those gaps. And a final question, does it require a skilled workforce to be able to manufacture boards? It does require a skilled workforce, and our workforce is aging and retiring. And to be honest with you, we are not uh, getting within our workforce that infusion of new young talent uh, to uh, learn from those who are retiring and to uh, ensure that we have the skill set domestically. I will add as well that uh, the, trans- the, the, the industry is making a transition. Uh, from the kind of manufacturing practices we have today to factories of the future, uh, factories that are much more reliant on automation, on artificial intelligence. And in that kind of manufacturing environment, we are much more reliant on a, a different skill set, uh, problem solvers. The, the level of skills that we will need our workers to have will be higher. And so we need to be training to that higher skill set. And so for the industry, as we make this migration, we're going to need to make sure that we are working closely with um, community colleges, um, universities, and high schools to make sure that, that we actually have the workforce to support the factories that will provide us this sophisticated electronics um, going forward in the future. Chris Mitchell is Vice President for Government Relations at the IPC, formerly the Institute for Printed Circuits. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First. Always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.